Well, to start things off this morning, I want to tell you about a lady named Alicia. Alicia has faced quite a bit of adversity in her life, especially over the last few years. Alicia is a homeschool mom, and she has four kids that are aged 11, 9, 6, and 2. And I know some of you can relate to the challenges of homeschooling multiple young children. Well, it's especially challenging for Alicia to homeschool her four kids because the oldest one suffers from ADHD and autism. And Alicia says that one particular year a few years ago was really difficult for her oldest child. Uh, during this particular year, her oldest child would go through these extreme uh, emotional swings, and there would be times when he would just constantly yell out at her and violently throw things at her. And whenever her son got into the state, Alicia said there was really nothing that she could do to calm him down. Uh, she described every moment of every day is a battle, and this battle, it, it drained her physically, emotionally, and spiritually. That's adversity. Now, thankfully, Alicia was able to find a therapist who could help her son, and after a year of very intense therapy, her son's behavior started to improve. But just as things were getting better with her son, Alicia's husband was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, and his blood sugar skyrocketed so high one day that the doctor said that he should have been dead or in a coma. But thankfully, that didn't happen, uh, but he did have to spend several days in the intensive care unit, so there was more adversity. And then shortly after Alicia's husband got out of the ICU, he lost his job and was unemployed for 18 months. And being a homeschool family, he was the primary breadwinner, so that was a tough blow for them. So more adversity. And then in the middle of those 18 months, Alicia developed a life-threatening condition in her brain. And in order to treat the condition, she had to lay flat on her back 24-7 and inject herself with powerful medicine around the clock. So more adversity. And then to top it all off, just after she finished that, that agonizing treatment for her, her brain condition, she suffered a mini-stroke. So more adversity. Now, how did Alicia respond to all of this adversity in her life? Well, Alicia is a follower of Jesus, and in the midst of all this adversity, she turned to the Lord and she prayed. As she rode in the ambulance on the way to the hospital after the mini-stroke, Alicia prayed to the Lord and she said, Lord, you have a reason for me to go through this. Please use this trial to bring joy to my own heart and help me to spread your message of how to have joy through trials to as many people as possible. So Alicia prayed that she would be a faithful follower of Jesus and a faithful witness for Jesus in the face of all her adversity. And you know what? God answered her prayer. Alicia says that all the adversity she faced brought her closer to the Lord and she now has more joy in serving him than she ever did before. And through a ministry that she founded, uh, she's able to help others who experience joy in the face of adversity by pointing them to Jesus. Now, Alicia's story, it teaches us something about the Christian life. Alicia's story, it teaches us that Christians do not get a free pass when it comes to adversity. Jesus never promised his followers an easy life. In fact, in John 16, 13, Jesus tells his followers that they will face adversity in this life. Christians will face adversity in this world just like everyone else. Christians will face adversity when it comes to their health. Christians will face adversity when it comes to their finances. Christians will face adversity when it comes to their families. Christians will face all kinds of adversity. You can't avoid adversity when you live in a fallen, sinful world like we do. So the question isn't, will we face adversity in this world? The question is, when we do face adversity in this world, how will we respond to it? Now, those of us who profess faith in Jesus Christ, we can respond to adversity in one of two ways. 
One way to respond to adversity is to, be, to turn away from the Lord and to be a poor witness for him. And some people who profess faith in Jesus will do that. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus told a parable about a farmer who, who planted some seed in rocky soil. And when that seed was planted in the rocky soil and the sun came out, and the sun represents adversity in this parable, well, when the sun came out, that plant that was uh, growing up in the rocky soil, it withered away. And so what Jesus is saying is that some people who profess faith in him will wither away in the face of adversity. They'll turn away and, and make a poor witness. Others, however, will remain faithful to Jesus in the face of adversity and even bear fruit for him and for his kingdom. And that's what Jesus wants for his followers. Jesus wants his followers to remain faithful to him and to bear fruit for his kingdom, even at the, in, in the face of adversity. He wants us to be faithful to him at all times and in all circumstances. Now, back in the first century, there was a man named Stephen, and he was one of those who remained faithful to Jesus. He was one of those who, who even bore fruit for Jesus in the face of adversity. And we're going to read about Stephen today, and we're going to talk about the end of his life at the end of chapter 7 in the book of Acts. We're going to talk about how we can be faithful followers and faithful witnesses for Jesus in the face of adversity, just as Stephen was. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to take it out and turn in your Bible to chapter 7 in the book of Acts. If you're new to City View Church, we've been studying through the book of Acts over the past few months, and now we're nearing the end of chapter 7. And so just to, to recap what we've seen a little bit uh, in the book of Acts so far, uh, we've seen how the church was born on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came to fill the believers in Jerusalem. This was 50 days after Jesus was resurrected from the dead. Uh, we've seen how the church grew very click, uh, quickly in those first few weeks of its existence. Uh, very quickly, the church went from 120 believers to several thousand believers. Now, we've seen as the church has, has grown that the Jewish authorities started to persecute the church. The Jewish authorities, they were jealous that, that hordes of people were leaving them to go follow Jesus. And so these rulers and these elders, they started persecuting the believers in the early church, hoping that they could stamp out the movement. But what we've seen in the book of Acts is that the more they tried to stamp out the movement, the more the church continued to grow. Now the church continued to grow and grow, and we saw not too long ago that as the church grew, there was a problem that popped up inside of the church that threatened the unity and the health of the church. If you remember just a couple weeks ago at the beginning of Acts chapter 6, we saw how the Greek-speaking Hellenist Christians in the church were accusing the Aramaic-speaking Hebrew Christians in the church of neglecting their widows in the daily provisions. And to remedy that problem, the church chose seven men to help oversee the distribution of money and food to the widows. And Stephen was one of those seven men. Now, the Jews who were opposed to the church and trying to stamp out the movement, well, they tried to go after Stephen. They saw that he was chosen to be a leader in the church, and they wanted to take him out. And so they, they started by trying to, to debate him on theological matters, and they could not win any of those debates against Stephen. So not only were they jealous at this point, now they're getting mad and they really want to try to find a way to take Stephen down. So what they decide to do next is falsely accuse him of blaspheming Moses and God in the temple. Now being falsely accused like that, that's adversity. So Stephen's starting to face some adversity here in his life. And those false accusations, they created such a stir and such an uproar in Jerusalem that Stephen was seized by the Jewish elders and he was taken to the Sanhedrin. So now he's been arrested and now he's, he's 
being put on trial for no legitimate reason. So that's more adversity. And when Stephen's placed before the Sanhedrin, which was kind of like the Jewish ruling council at the time, the high priest asked Stephen if the accusations against him were true. And Stephen gave this long response to the high priest. And in that long response, he pointed out to the high priest how he and the rest of the Sanhedrin was committing the same mistakes and the same sins as their ancestors. Just as their ancestors rejected Moses when God sent Moses to, to save them from slavery, Stephen tells the Sanhedrin they're rejecting Jesus, the one whom God sent to save them from their sin. Now, Stephen probably had a lot more to say to the Sanhedrin, but that's as far as he gets. Okay, we're going to look at the scriptures now and we'll see why Stephen doesn't get any further in his speech. I'm going to read in Acts chapter 7, verses 54 through 60. Uh, so if you don't mind, would you please stand in honor of God's word as I read the holy and inspired scriptures to us this morning. So in Acts chapter 7, starting in verse 54, remember Stephen, is, is, he's kind of in full swing with his speech to the Sanhedrin. And here's what the scriptures say, starting in verse 54. It says, Now when the Sanhedrin heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for the faithfulness of Stephen and what it teaches us about how to be faithful to Jesus in the face of adversity. And I pray as we talk about that, that your spirit would open our hearts and our minds so that we can learn how to live for you each and every day, no matter what it is we're facing in this world. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you. You can be seated. So Stephen doesn't get to finish his speech to the Sanhedrin. Okay, when Stephen is in mid-speech, when he's in the middle of telling the Sanhedrin that they have rejected Jesus just like their ancestors rejected Moses, when Stephen's in the middle of saying all this, the members of the Sanhedrin get so mad that they rush at Stephen, they pick him up, drag him out of the city, and then they stone him to death. That's pretty serious adversity. Stephen faced some pretty serious adversity in this world. But what we see in this passage is that Stephen was faithful to Jesus to the very end. Even in the face of all this adversity, Stephen remained faithful to Jesus. And that's, that's what Jesus wants for his followers. He wants his followers to remain faithful to him, even in the face of adversity. Now, how could Stephen remain faithful to Jesus in the face of all this adversity that he was facing? Well, I'll tell you how he could do it. Stephen remained faithful to Jesus in the face of adversity because he was full of the Holy Spirit. When we were first introduced to Stephen back in chapter 6, when we were told how he was one of those seven men chosen to help with the distribution to the widows, Acts chapter 6 verse 5 says that Stephen was a man full of the Holy Spirit. And then here in chapter 7 in verse 55, we see it again. Luke tells us that Stephen was a man full of the Holy Spirit. And so Luke wants us to know that Stephen remained faithful to Jesus in the face of adversity because he was full of the Holy Spirit. 
Now, being full of the Holy Spirit, that means more than just having the Holy Spirit living in you. Being full of the Holy Spirit means allowing the Spirit to work in you and through you. And so we know that from what the Bible teaches, we know that every Christian has received the same Holy Spirit that Stephen received. When we put our faith in Jesus, when we commit to following him, in other words, when we become Christians, God gives the same Holy Spirit to us that he gave to Stephen. And if we allow the Spirit to work in us and through us, if we don't resist him, but if we allow him to work in us and through us, the Holy Spirit will empower us to live for Jesus in the face of adversity, just like he did for Stephen. So that leads me to the main point that I want to make today in this message. The main point I want to make today as we look at how Stephen remained faithful in the face of adversity is this. Because Jesus wants his followers to remain faithful in all circumstances, we must allow the Holy Spirit to empower us in the face of adversity. Because Jesus wants his followers to remain faithful in all circumstances, we must allow the Holy Spirit to empower us in the face of adversity. And if we allow him, if we allow him to work in us, how exactly will the Holy Spirit empower us to live for Jesus in the face of adversity? That's the question I want to answer for you this morning. And I believe this passage about Stephen shows us that in the face of adversity, the Holy Spirit will empower us to live for Jesus in three ways. And so let me share those three ways with you. The first one is this. If we allow him, if we allow him to work in us, the Holy Spirit will empower us to speak about Jesus in the face of adversity. The Holy Spirit will empower us to speak about Jesus in the face of adversity. We see it in verse 54. In verse 54, Luke tells us that when the Sanhedrin heard these things, well, what things did they hear? The things that they heard were the things that Stephen was speaking. When the high priest asked Stephen if, if the accusations against him were true, Stephen gave a lengthy response. We looked at Stephen's lengthy response last week, basically verses 2 through 53 in chapter 7. And the whole gist of Stephen's lengthy response is that the Sanhedrin was making the same mistakes and committing the same sins as their ancestors. Stephen explains to the Sanhedrin that they were rejecting their Redeemer, they were resisting the Holy Spirit, just as their ancestors did. And if you remember in verse 51, Stephen kind of scolded the Sanhedrin and he said, just as your fathers did, so do you. Now it took some guts for Stephen to, to say this to the Sanhedrin. Just think about it for a minute. Stephen is standing before the most powerful group of men in all of Judaism. And rather than defending himself against the accusations that were made against him, Stephen points out the sin of the Sanhedrin and he tells them about Jesus. It probably would have been a whole lot easier for Stephen to, to stand there and say, I'm not guilty of blasphemy and just leave it at that. Now, if you're a baseball fan, you might remember that back in 2005, Rafael Palmeiro was brought before the United States Congress. Rafael Palmeiro was one of the best baseball players from the mid-1980s to the mid-2000s. Four-time All-Star, three-time Gold Glove winner, uh, and only one of 33 players in the history of Major League Baseball to have more than 3,000 hits in his career. Well, in 2005, a former baseball player by the name of Jose Canseco wrote a book called Juiced. And in this book, Jose Canseco accused Rafael Palmeiro and a few other star players of taking steroids. And the accusations created such a stir and such an uproar that Rafael Palmeiro and some of the other players were brought before the United States Congress 
And they were asked, are these accusations true? Now, do you know how Rafael Palmero responded when he was brought before the most powerful group of people in the United States and asked if the accusations against him were true? Well, naturally, he defended himself. Here's what Rafael Palmero said. He said, members of Congress, he says, let me start by telling you this. I have never used steroids, period. I do not know how to say it any more clearly than that. Never. The reference to me in Mr. Canseco's book is absolutely false. That's what Rafael Palmero said. You know what he didn't say? He didn't say, Congress, let me tell you all about your sins, and let me tell you about Jesus. I have no doubt it took a lot of courage for Rafael Palmero to stand there and to, and to defend himself against these accusations, but can you imagine how much courage it would have taken for Rafael Palmero to stand there before Congress and, and point out all the sins of the Congress and, and tell them about Jesus? But that's essentially what Stephen did. That's what Stephen did when he was brought before the Sanhedrin. When Stephen was standing there before the Sanhedrin, and if, when he was asked if the accusations against him were true, he didn't really defend himself. Instead, he pointed out to the members of the Sanhedrin how they had sinned, and then he tells them about Jesus. Now, Stephen responded in this courageous way because the Holy Spirit was living within him, and the Holy Spirit was empowering him to speak about Jesus. The Spirit prompted Stephen to speak about Jesus in that moment, and the Spirit empowered Stephen to speak about Jesus in that moment. If it wasn't for the Spirit living within, within Stephen, he probably would have responded just like Raphael Palmero. He probably would have said, members of the Sanhedrin, let me start by telling you this. I've never blasphemed Moses or the temple or God or anyone else. I don't know how to say it more clearly than that. Never. The accusations against me are absolutely false. If it wasn't for the spirit living in, within Stephen, I think that's what he would have said to the Sanhedrin. And I think he would have just left it at that. But the spirit who was living within Stephen prompted him and empowered him to speak about Jesus so that he could be a faithful witness for Jesus in the face of adversity. Now, Stephen was a man of good repute. If we go back to the way Luke introduces him in chapter 6, that's what it says. He was a man of good repute. So as Stephen witnessed to the Sanhedrin, I believe he wanted to see them repent of their sin and put their faith in Jesus so that they would be forgiven by God and saved from God's judgment. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. Look at verse 54. It goes on to say that when the members of the Sanhedrin heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. And when Luke says that the members of the Sanhedrin ground their teeth at Stephen... He's using an expression that Jesus used multiple times to describe people in hell. Stephen spoke about Jesus in hopes that the members of the Sanhedrin would respond by putting their faith in Jesus, but instead they responded in the most ungodly way possible. They responded in a way that is aligned more with hell than with heaven. Now, sometimes that will happen when we speak about Jesus. Sometimes when we speak about Jesus, people are going to respond in ways that are aligned more with hell than with heaven. And since in the back of our minds we know this, this might be the case, we're often tempted to stay quiet when the Spirit prompts us to speak about Jesus. And I think we're especially prompted to stay quiet whenever we're facing adversity, because we don't want to take the chance of inviting even more adversity into our lives. Now, when the Holy Spirit prompts us to speak about Jesus, 
it's important that we not resist that prompt. And it's important that we not give in to the temptation to stay quiet. You know why it's important for us to speak about Jesus when the Holy Spirit prompts us, even in the face of adversity? I'll tell you why. It's important to speak about Jesus when the Holy Spirit prompts us because we don't know whose heart God has prepared to respond to our witness. When the members of the Sanhedrin dragged Stephen outside of the city to stone him, Luke tells us in verse 58 that they laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. This young man Saul, he was an up-and-comer in, in Judaism. If he wasn't already a junior member of the Sanhedrin, he was certainly on his way to becoming one. This young man Saul, he was, he was a student of Gamaliel. You might remember Gamaliel from chapter 5 in the book of Acts. He was one of the most respected members of the Sanhedrin at this time. And Gamaliel is the one who in chapter 5, he's the one who talked the rest of the Sanhedrin out of killing the apostles when the apostles were brought before them after they were caught speaking about Jesus at the temple when they were told not to. Well, this young man saw he was, he was a student who studied under Gamaliel, and, and he was there when Stephen faced all this adversity. And he saw and he heard how Stephen remained faithful to Jesus. And Stephen's faithful witness made an impression on Saul. We're going to see when we get to chapter 9 that, that Saul becomes a Christian. And then as we go through the rest of the book of Acts, what we're going to see is that this, this young man named Saul, whose, whose name becomes Paul, we're going to see that he becomes the most influential person in the history of Christianity aside from Jesus Christ. Several decades after Stephen was stoned, this man named Saul, who also goes by the name Paul, he's going to talk about the impression that Stephen's witness had on him. We'll see it in Acts chapter 22. So yes, when we speak about Jesus, there is a risk that people are going to respond negatively. But there's also a chance that God has prepared someone's heart to hear our message and to respond favorably to our witness. And who knows what God will want to do in their life. So that's why we must speak about Jesus in the face of adversity when the Spirit prompts us to do so. It takes courage, but if the Spirit prompts us, He will empower us to speak about Jesus in the face of adversity. That's the first way the Holy Spirit empowers us to live for Jesus in the face of adversity. Now, if we allow Him to work in us, the second way that the Spirit will empower us to live for Jesus is this. The Holy Spirit will empower us to focus on Jesus in the face of adversity. The Spirit will empower us to focus on Jesus in the face of adversity. You see, when we're facing adversity, it's, it's easy for us to get distracted and to take our eyes off of Jesus. But Stephen didn't do that. What we see is that Stephen kept his eyes on Jesus at all times. Look at verse 55. In verse 55, Luke tells us that when the Sanhedrin became enraged at Stephen, when they were grinding their teeth at him, Luke tells us in verse 55 that Stephen gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And then to underscore the significance of what Stephen saw, Luke records for us in verse 56 what, what Stephen said. In verse 56, Luke tells us that Stephen said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and I see the Son of Man. That's, that's Jesus. I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now, we don't know exactly what Luke means in verse 55 when he says that Stephen saw the glory of God. But what is really clear in verse 55 and 56 is that Stephen saw Jesus. In the midst of all his adversity, Stephen kept his eyes on Jesus and he stayed focused on Jesus. 
Now, in both verse 55 and verse 56, I want you to notice that the text says that Stephen saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Usually in the Bible, we hear about Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father. For example, in Ephesians 1.20, we're told that God raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And in Hebrews 1, verse 3, the Bible says, After making purifications for our sins, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The fact that Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father is an indication that his work of atoning for our sins is done. That's why the Bible usually tells us that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. So, since we're usually told that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, if, if we're observant Bible readers, we'll notice that here Luke tells us that Stephen saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And we'll ask, well, why is that? Why is Jesus standing here and not sitting? Well, Luke doesn't tell us why Jesus is standing here in verse 55 and 56, but it's probably a combination of two reasons. First, Jesus is probably standing to acknowledge Stephen as he remained faithful to him and spoke about him in the face of adversity. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, verse 8, Jesus says, Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before the angels of God. And so Jesus is probably standing here to keep his promise. Jesus just saw how Stephen acknowledged him before men, the Sanhedrin, and now Jesus is standing to acknowledge Stephen before the angels of God. And really, that's an expression that means before God himself. Now, it's also possible that Stephen is standing, or Jesus is standing to welcome Stephen into heaven. Stephen is about to die. He's, he's down to his final few minutes of life. And since believers immediately go to be with Jesus when they die, Jesus may be standing to greet Stephen and to welcome him into heaven, just as you might stand to greet a friend and welcome them into your home when he comes to visit. Now, when Stephen sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God, I also want you to notice in verse 56 that he calls Jesus the Son of Man. Jesus often referred to himself as the Son of Man. For example, in Luke 19.10, Jesus explains why he came to this earth. He says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And in Mark 10, 45, Jesus says, Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And when Jesus himself was on trial before the Sanhedrin, the same group of people in Matthew 22, 64, Jesus said to the high priest, From now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. So Jesus often called himself the Son of Man. And one of the reasons he probably called himself the Son of Man is, is that he became a man to identify with us and to be our representative before God. Jesus becoming a man. We call this the incarnation. And we're going to celebrate that next week at Christmas. We're going to celebrate Jesus taking on human flesh to become a man and to identify with us, to be our representative before God. But there's another reason why Jesus called himself the Son of Man. Back in, Dan back in Daniel chapter 7, prophet Daniel had a vision of heaven. And in his vision, Daniel saw God the Father give an everlasting kingdom to one who is like a Son of Man. Jesus calls himself the Son of Man because he wants everyone to know that he is the one to whom God gave that everlasting kingdom. 
In other words, Jesus wants everyone to know that he is the Messiah. Well, Stephen wants everyone to know this too. And that's why Stephen calls Jesus the Son of Man when he sees him standing at the right hand of God. By calling Jesus the Son of Man, this is one last way for Stephen to witness for Jesus. It's one last way for Stephen to tell everyone who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. So what we see here in verse 55 and 56 is that Stephen stayed focused on Jesus at all times. Remember, Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit. We're told that here in verse 55. And by including that detail in verse 55, Luke is implying that it was by the power of the Holy Spirit that Stephen was able to stay focused on Jesus and to keep his eyes on Jesus in the midst of his adversity. You see, Stephen could have looked at the Sanhedrin that was standing in front of him and said, woe is me. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus, or Stephen kept his eyes on Jesus and he said, great is he. I told you about Rafael Palmeiro earlier. Now I want to tell you about another baseball player named Bill Buckner. You see, after the Steelers lost to the Colts yesterday, I've given up on football season. I'm moving on to baseball. That's why I've got all these baseball players on my mind today. So Bill Buckner, uh, he played in the major leagues for 22 years, 1969 to 1990. And he was a first baseman, and, and he was a pretty good player, both offensively and defensively. He won the National League batting title in 1980, made the All-Star team in 1981. And then defensively, he had a 992 career fielding percentage. Okay, so here's what that means. That means 99.2% of the time, when the ball was hit to Bill Buckner, he made the play. Sadly, though, Bill Buckner is known for one incident that was a part of that 0.8% of unsuccessful plays. Now, back in the 1986 World Series, Bill Buckner played first base for the Boston Red Sox. And the Red Sox were, were playing against the New York Mets, and they were winning the series three games to two. And if you don't know how the World Series works, the first team to win four games wins the series. So by being up three games to two, the Red Sox were just one win away from winning the World Series. Well, the sixth game of the World Series, it was tied at the end of nine innings, so it went into extra innings. And the Red Sox were up first, and they scored two runs in the top of the 10th inning. So all they had to do now to win the World Series was to keep the Mets from scoring two or more runs in the bottom of the 10th. So the Red Sox just three outs away from winning their first World Series in 68 years. Well, in the bottom of the 10th, the Red Sox get the first two batters out. Everything's on track. But then the Mets rallied, and they got three straight hits and scored two runs to tie the game. And they still had a runner on second. And that's when a guy named Mookie Wilson stepped to the plate for the New York Mets. And when he got to the plate, uh, the pitch came in, and he hit a routine ground ball to Bill Buckner at first base. All Bill Buckner had to do was field the ball and step on the bag, and he would keep the Red Sox hopes of winning the game in the World Series alive. It's a play that he made 99.2% of the time. But do you know what happened this time when the World Series was on the line? He missed it. The ball went right between his legs. And that allowed the runner from second base to score. The Red Sox lost the game, and they were just kind of demoralized after that. So when they came out in game seven, they lost that one too, along with the World Series. And Red Sox fans, they would have to wait another 18 years for their team to win a World Series. Now, how did Bill Buckner miss that ground ball? I mean, he was such a great defensive player. So how did he let this routine ground ball go right between his legs? 
Well, Mookie Wilson, he, he could see the play unfolding right in front of him as he was running down the first baseline. And when he was interviewed after the game, Mookie Wilson said, I don't know, I think Bill Buckner just took his eyes off the ball for a split second. Every baseball coach, every baseball player will tell you that bad things happen when you take your eyes off the ball. I'll tell you what, the same is true when we take our eyes off of Jesus. Bad things happen when we take our eyes off of Jesus. You see, when we take our eyes off of Jesus, that's, that's when we're prone to turn away from him. And that's when we're prone to say things that are going to ruin our witness. And that's when we're prone to do things that will ruin our witness. That's why we have to remember that the Holy Spirit is living within us. If we remember that the Holy Spirit is living within us, then we can ask him to help us stay focused on Jesus in the face of our adversity. So if you're facing some kind of adversity right now, ask the Holy Spirit to help you stay focused on Jesus. Ask the Spirit to help you stay focused on Jesus' love in the face of your adversity. Ask the Spirit to help you stay focused on Jesus' goodness in the face of your adversity. And ask the Spirit to help you stay focused on Jesus' power in the face of your adversity. In the face of adversity, it's so easy to focus on all that is going wrong. But if we ask Him, the Spirit will empower us to stay focused on Jesus. That's the second way the Spirit empowers us to live for Jesus. And if we allow him to work in us, there's a third way that the Spirit will empower us to live for Jesus. The third way is this. The Holy Spirit will empower us to act like Jesus in the face of adversity. If we allow him, the Spirit will empower us to act like Jesus in the face of adversity. So when Stephen told the Sanhedrin that they were rejecting their Redeemer, and when he told them they were resisting the Holy Spirit just like their ancestors had done, Remember, the Sanhedrin was enraged, and they started grinding their teeth at, at Stephen. Their blood was boiling. Okay, at this point, they're like a volcano that's ready to erupt. Well, when Stephen said that he saw Jesus, the Son of Man, standing at the right hand of the Father, this pushed them over the edge. This pushed them over the edge because if what Stephen saw was true, then it was evidence that they were wrong about Jesus. And if Stephen was lying, then he was blaspheming. So either way, the Sanhedrin didn't want to hear this. So look at how they respond in verse 57. In verse 57, Luke says, The Sanhedrin cried out with a loud voice, and they stopped their ears, and they rushed together at him. And then in verse 58, it says, They cast Stephen out of the city and stoned him. Now, the typical way that you would stone someone to death in these days is you would take them outside of the city, you would strip them, and then you would push them off a cliff that was about 10 to 12 feet high. And so that's going to leave you kind of banged up. So you're going to just kind of be laying there on the ground. And then while you're down there laying on the ground, your, your accusers or your executors, they're going to push a big boulder off that cliff. And that boulder is going to come down and roll over you and crush you. Now, if the first boulder doesn't kill you, then they're going to push another boulder down over the cliff. And they're going to keep doing this until eventually you're crushed to death by the boulders. That's the way you typically stone the person in these days. But it doesn't appear that's the way the Sanhedrin stoned Stephen to death. Okay, the, Luke, the, the picture that Luke paints here for us, it, it's one that's probably more in line with what you envisioned in your mind when you heard that Stephen was stoned. Uh, what we see here is that the Sanhedrin, uh, most likely they just started picking up stones and throwing them at Stephen, and, and they just continued to pelt him with stone after stone after stone until he fell to his knees and died. Now, if you notice in verse 60, it actually says that Stephen fell asleep. 
You see, that's a biblical expression that's used when followers of Jesus die. And that expression is used because it, it captures our hope in the resurrection. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we too will rise from the dead. Those of us who have put our faith in Jesus, we too will rise from the dead. One day our bodies will rise up from the grave, just like we rise up from our beds in the morning when we wake from our sleep. That's why Luke says that Stephen fell asleep, but that really means that he died. Now, what's really amazing about this passage is to see how much Stephen acted like Jesus in the face of adversity. When Stephen fell to his knees and is about to die, in verse 59, look at what he says. He cries out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. You remember what Jesus said when he gave up his life on the cross? In Luke 23, 46, as Jesus was about to die on the cross, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus was quoting from Psalm 31, verse 5 when he said that, and Stephen did the same thing. He quoted Psalm 31, 5 as he was dying too. And then look at verse 60. This is, this is even more remarkable. In verse 60, as Stephen's being pelted with the stones, he cries out with a loud voice and says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. What did Jesus say when he was nailed to the cross? In Luke 23, 34, we're told that Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus prayed that those who were killing him would be forgiven. And Stephen prayed for the exact same thing. Now, when you compare the lives of Stephen and Jesus, there are so many similarities that it's hard to ignore them. The scripture says that both Stephen and Jesus were full of the Holy Spirit. Both were full of wisdom. Both performed miracles and wonders. Both were accused of blasphemy. Both were taken outside of the city to be executed. And both prayed for their executioner's forgiveness as they were dying. These similarities are not a coincidence. You see, Stephen acted like Jesus because Stephen was a disciple of Jesus. You know what a disciple is? A disciple is someone who models their life after their teacher. A disciple will study the life of their teacher so that they can talk like their teacher, so they can act like their teacher, and even so they can develop the same kind of character as their teacher. A disciple tries to become just like their teacher in every possible way. Have you heard of Ray Charles? Ray Charles is considered one of the most iconic and influential singers and songwriters in, in history, really. Now, Ray Charles, he didn't live a godly lifestyle, but he won 17 Grammy Awards, and he was in the first class of musicians that was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And he was also inducted into the R&B Hall of Fame and the Country Music Hall of Fame. Ray Charles, he sang songs like George On My Mind and Hit the Road, Jack. You might be familiar with those songs. Now, if you've ever seen pictures of Ray Charles, you'll notice that he always had these dark sunglasses on, and that's because he went blind as a child. And that makes his success in the music industry even that much more remarkable. Well, in 2004, Universal Pictures decided to make a movie about Ray Charles. And Jamie Foxx was chosen to play Ray. Now, as Jamie Foxx prepared to play Ray Charles in this movie, he tried to become like Ray Charles in every possible way. So first he met with Ray Charles to learn as much as he could about his life. And then he went on a diet and exercise program to lose 30 pounds so that he would have the same body structure as Ray. And then he listened to hours and hours and hours of Ray's music and interviews so that he could talk like Ray and sing like Ray and play music like Ray. And he even went to the extreme of having his eyes glued shut for several weeks so that he would know what it was like to be blind like Ray. 
And along the same lines, he, he signed up for, for classes to read Braille at the Braille Institute so that he could read like Ray. You see, Jamie Foxx did everything he possibly could to act just like Ray Charles. And his efforts paid off because he won an Oscar for his performance. Now, you could say that Jamie Foxx was a disciple of Ray Charles. You could say that because he was trying to become like Ray Charles in every possible way. Well, you know, we're disciples of Jesus Christ. That's what the New Testament calls us, disciples of Jesus Christ. And so that means we should be doing everything that we possibly can to learn about Jesus so that we can talk like him, so that we can act like him, and so that we can treat others like him. And that means we need to spend time reading about Jesus in, in the Bible. That means we need to spend time talking to Jesus in prayer. That means we need to spend time worshiping Jesus with other believers. And you know, as we do all of those things, if we allow him, the Holy Spirit will work in us so that we will act more like Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, The Spirit makes us more and more like Jesus as we are changed into his glorious image. Now, in the face of adversity, you might say to yourself, well, there's no way I can act like Jesus in this situation. There's no way I could love that person like Jesus. There's no way I could serve that person like Jesus. There's no way I could forgive that person like Jesus. In the face of adversity, you might say that you can't act like Jesus. But I want you to know that you can. You can act like Jesus in the face of adversity because the Holy Spirit is living within you. And if you allow him, the Spirit will empower you to act like Jesus. So brothers and sisters, we're all going to face adversity in this world. It's a fallen world and people are going to hurt us. Our bodies will fail us. Things aren't always going to turn out the way we want them to. Remember, I told you the question is, isn't will we face adversity in this world? The question is, when we do face it, how will we respond? Will we turn away from Jesus and be a poor witness? Or will we remain faithful to Jesus and bear fruit for his kingdom? I want you to know this morning that we can be faithful to Jesus in the face of adversity. We can remain faithful to Jesus because we have the Holy Spirit living within us. And if we allow him to work in us and through us, the Spirit will empower us to live for Jesus in the face of adversity. The Spirit will empower us to speak about Jesus in the face of adversity. The Spirit will empower us to focus on Jesus in the face of adversity. And the Spirit will empower us to act like Jesus in the face of adversity. The Sanhedrin resisted the Holy Spirit, and they rejected Jesus in the face of adversity. Stephen, however, received the Holy Spirit, and he remained faithful to Jesus in the face of adversity. So how will you respond in the face of adversity? Allow the Spirit to work in you and through you so that you can remain faithful in the face of adversity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you, Lord God, that you sent your Holy Spirit to come and to live within us. And we thank you for the way that the, the Spirit works in us and through us, Lord, so that we can remain faithful to Jesus at all times and in all circumstances. And Father, it's no secret that we live in a sinful, fallen world where things don't always turn out the way we want them to. We know that people are going to hurt us. We know that our bodies are going to fail us. We know that there's going to be adversity in this life. And God, in those times, it's especially important for us to, to rely on the Holy Spirit and His power 
so that we can remain faithful to Jesus, to be faithful followers, but also faithful witnesses. Lord, if the Spirit prompts us in the face of our adversity, we can trust that he will empower us to speak about Jesus, to be a faithful witness for him. And in the face of that adversity, when it's so easy to to just focus on all that is going wrong, we can ask the Spirit to help us keep our eyes on Jesus, and we can trust that he will empower us to do that. And Father, in the face of that adversity, we can ask the Spirit to empower us to act like Jesus, to love others like him, to serve others like him, to forgive others like him. We know it's possible because we've seen the way the Spirit has worked in Stephen's life. As he was being stoned to death, facing some of the most serious adversity that a person could face, the Spirit empowered him to remain faithful. And we know that we have the same Spirit living within us. And so we can demonstrate the same faithfulness. And I pray that you would help us to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters,